When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I am Hallie Caster Jane and welcome to the Hallie Caster Jane Show. We're along with my partner in politics, veteran White House correspondent and Time and Newsweek alum, Matthew Cooper. We slice and dice all things politics and some days are lawmakers too. On this episode of the Hallie Caster Jane Show, we're talking politics and prose. We begin with our weekly politics review. And in our second half hour, we take a look at the extraordinary account of the life of World War II American spy, Aileen Griffith, Countess of Ramoninones, as told in historian Larry Loftus's lively The Princess Spy, his new book getting rave reviews. Let's get started. It's Hallie and Matt time. Here we go. Good morning, Matthew. Here's where we are this week. Just because you asked me to do this last week, we've reached yet another milestone in our fight against coronavirus. Truly, this time, boy, it's tough. It's almost unfathomable. As of this morning, 507,469 Americans are dead in the United States. 29 million Americans have been infected with the virus. I mean, just think of that. That's just insane. And according to Anthony Fauci, the federal government's top infectious disease expert, it didn't have to be this bad. He actually blames, in his own way, Donald Trump and the politicization of the coronavirus as a key contributor to the U.S. death tolls. So, Matt, I'm wondering how history's yes. going to, I'm wondering how history's going to look at all of this. Um, as perhaps America's greatest failure, presided over perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States. I'm wondering what you're thinking about. Even let me just say, as all of this is sort of being drowned out by the Tiger Woods story, the media treating Tiger Woods with the Trump treatment, I'm ready to scream. Talk to me. (laughs) By Trump treatment, you mean constant coverage. There you go. There you go. Over a golfer. 500,000 people well, dead? Um, Let's talk golf. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, um, well, look, it's, history's not going to be kind to the 46th president. I mean, I mean, uh, 45th, excuse me. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a scientific consensus. It didn't have to be this way. We didn't have to have more cases than any other country in the world. And, um, you know, there's been, could have been more mitigation earlier. And, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it's it's been a disaster. It's been a disaster, and 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 I'm trying to think in history of American disasters. Have we ever had anything quite disaster as disastrous as this? Is that a point that's been properly made? I don't think there is. 
Yeah, I think you're asking the right question. It's hard. It's hard to think of an analogous situation, right? Uh, I mean, uh, and yet, and yeah, yet. to have these kind of numbers, yeah, right, and yet, nothing really. The the point hasn't been addressed properly, which sets us up for this entire conversation we're going to have. Because, you know, going back to September 2020, I was looking this up when when you know the former guy said on. <laughs> when we were astonished by the fact that a thousand people were dying a day and 155,000 and had died. And he says it is what it is, you know? Yeah. And no, and made no mention, um, even as he sort of creeped into the world of, uh, of media this week, you know, it's an interesting opportunity for Joe Biden, the empathetic POTUS, you know, right. Biden is the 21st century FDR. You know, when he gave that talk on, on the milestone the other day and he was standing there, I thought, why don't they have him sitting in front of the fireplace in the Oval or wherever and do his fireside chat things? You know, he, 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 he's, he's old enough and he's got enough gravitas to pull that off. And that's something that a generation, a whole bunch of generations didn't get to understand or to know how FDR, you know, manipulated, uh, uh, the empathy he was so wonderful at of, of portraying. Um, you know, it, it, if I were running his <laughs> his PR, I I would put that on my list. What do you think? Well, it's pretty. You know, I, I pull away a little from your mic, honey. They're t- it's a little loud. Yeah, sorry. It's a uh, you know, I don't know. The first fireside chat was you know about ninety years ago. It it, it might be a increasingly everything old is new again. Well, that's true. I, I think he did just fine at the podium, though. Yeah, he did. He I'm did. Sure. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure set decoration would help. <laughs> well, I'm a woman. <laughs> not to be sexist about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see it all. But but he he is he he is good at doing that, and I fear that the Republicans are going to um, use that against him ultimately. But but um, because they're so good at taking the best of and making it the worst of. Um, and you see, little, well, that is that is their thing. Yeah. yeah, and and there have been little pieces in the media dropping, you know, about about Biden's so-called empathy. Um, right. Before we go further, and we don't have a lot of time today, I just want to bring up the Supreme Court failed Trump again, and his tax returns are going to be released, uh, or even may have been, for all we know, to um, Cy Vance in the uh, New York uh, case. I'm wondering what Trump is thinking, you know, as he holds court down here in um, the uh, right. neo. Not far from you. Not far from me. And the neo. Yeah, I hope you're going to go see it. I hope you're going to see him at CPAC. <laughs> I'm actually right smack dab in the middle of all of that. You wouldn't catch me going there for all the tea in I China. There, I've been back. Yeah, right. I've been. Did you go to? Yeah, you did a couple I years do. ago. I, are you going? I've been all. Yeah, I've been to most of them. Um, yeah. You gonna go? No, I'm not coming to Florida for. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I don't think anybody should be coming. Yeah, until no. otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, nobody should be coming to Florida um, at all. Um, that uh, well, you, you asked about. Yeah, you asked about Trump. I, you know, I think he's always trying to game how he's going to make money and how he's going to, you know, evade litigation and the law, or unless he wants the litigation. And uh, you know, I think he'll try to. Even with the Supreme Court, I think he'll try to find a way out of this. Well, the law is the law. <laughs> the law is the law. I think he, yeah, I think he's going to have to comply. And, 
you know, then he can turn his attention to negotiating a deal with Vance because, you know, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a trial and I don't think he's going to prison. So why do you not think he's going to have a trial and why do you think he's not going to prison? Now, I don't know that Cy Vance will be the one who gets him there, by the way, be Letitia, but because she wants to run for the governor. So she needs a big case. Well, look, I, <coughs> why don't you think there's going to be, know, he did something wrong. Well, first of all, in general, a lot of white-collar people don't go to jail. Uh, I, I'm not familiar enough with the charges. I think there's still going to be a reluctance to put a former president in, like, general population in prison. I mean, it could happen. It's never happened, but it could happen. I, I don't think it will happen, but I'm just guessing here. I think if ever it could happen, this is when it will happen. And I think that there's so much yeah. politics involved in all of this on the side of, you know, Vance and, and Letitia, that I think uh, if they can nail him, they're going to nail him. And if you listen to his old buddy, what's his face, um, who went to jail, the only one who did. What did yeah, Cohen. Cohen. Um, how could I forget that name? Um, he knows what's there. He more or less gave it to them. And he is absolutely emphatic that Trump is going to jail. So we'll have to see. Um yeah, that's what we'll have to see. I'm sure he would like it to be the case. I just don't know if it will be. But, well, you know, look, we're going to see. I mean, we're in uncharted waters, as we've gotten used to say. So let me let me let me let me take it here, which is here we are talking about Trump. Trump ain't going away. We want to use the other, you know, uh, him, whatever the words are, pronouns rather than, than 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 call him who he is. But Matthew, he is still the focus of everybody, Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, I think that's going to fade over time, but I could be wrong. I just think, you know, he doesn't have the Twitter microphone. He's not in office. Well, he hasn't um, had it for what months now. And here he is. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it. He's going to be at CPAC. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. Week. I mean, part of it's because, you know, they, <laughs> His supporters tried to take over the Capitol, so that kind of gave him more legs. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he'll just stay in the, you know, stay such a focus of news for uh, for a while. Well, time. you know, every time every time I, he I wants know. to, all he has to do is to summon one of the idiots from Capitol Hill. You know, the Republican, uh, you know, groupies. Yeah, and that's that's another story. I mean, he just that's all that he has to do. Um, but it is Biden's yeah, time. I mean, we'll know yeah, more. We'll know more to see if people want to run with him next year. I mean, are people going to want him in their districts uh, to help out? I guess some of them surely will, but I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. I just don't. I, you know, I'm I'm done guessing with this guy. The only the only thing I will say is this: if they do bring a charge down, it will be in the next few months, and it'll be long before 2022, and therefore that fate could be sealed just by that, even by just. Even by just bringing the charges against him, uh, it could change the dynamics of all of this. We'll see. Uh, but it is a new dawn. That's it, true. It's a new day. It's a new president. And so let's give the new president some some of his due. We'll talk about um, the cabinet. Uh, looks like Merrick Garland for uh, Attorney General is in. He got the nod yes. from the man who stopped him from getting on the Supreme Court, um, Mr. Uh, you know what? I don't even want to remember his name because I find him just odious uh, beyond Mitch McConnell needs to go to hell in a handbasket. But that's another story. Um, but there is the near attendance story. And uh, 
for those who don't know, she's up for what is it? Um, OP. Yeah. Office of Management. Thank you, my OMP. friend. Okay, and um, that's okay. She's she, she's a proud Democrat. She's been incredibly uh, influential <laughs> in the party. She's got her um, what is it? The American. Yeah, the Center for American, American Progress. Progress. She's a woman of color, Asian American, um, and she's a hoot to boot. The girl is a hoot. She's one of the funniest people in the world. I mean, it's so rare that somebody with a great mind has that wonderful sense of humor. That's like you. You're like that. You have a, a great sense of humor. Well, you're too kind. I you're know I kind. am, aren't I? I'm way too kind. But anyway, doesn't look good right now. And, and, and you know, 50-50, they needed Jim Manchin's vote, and Manchin says no uh, for a lot of reasons. But the one that's not being talked about the most, might I remind the public, is that Joe Manchin has a daughter who was involved in just the scandal of all scandals. And I don't know how he rode this out, Joe. Uh, EpiPens, one of which I carry uh, for, you know, times when you might have like a bee sting that you, is killing you and you have to shoot yourself up with this horrible drug that makes you think that you're going to the moon, uh, suddenly is costing $17 billion for all. It was like $700 a shot. Most people who needed it couldn't afford it, and your your insurance didn't cover it. And who was behind that? Joe Manchin's daughter. And Nira did go after yeah. her quite vociferously. Uh, and, and this thing dragged on a long time before it was attached to Joe, and, you know, it, it bubbled up to the fact of what was going on. So this is a personal vendetta, and the press is not covering that part of the personal vendetta well enough, being a West Virginian. I knew about it. So, um, you know... They pulled the, they pulled her uh, vote today. So um, uh, even though Joe was standing by her, you, you talked a little bit about it. What, what do you, you think she'll get through ultimately? No, no, I don't. I don't think she will. Um, but and, and it's you know it's hypocritical, of course, because so much of the complaints about her about her <laughs> tweets, and she was too mean in her tweets, and oh now the God. Republicans have suddenly decided that decorum is terribly important and mean tweets are disqualifying. Uh, so, you know, it's totally hypocritical about that. It's ridiculous. Uh, they're saying she's too much of a political figure for this job, but it's a job that's always been filled by congressmen and, and the like. I, I don't think she'll get it, but I think the White House al- always knew that was possible, possible yeah. if not likely. Yeah. And they um, deflected and used okay, her because she's drawn she's drawn the fire away from other nominees at least for a while. So I bet. Mansion votes for uh, Hallen, the uh, Interior Secretary, who he's been on the fence about, and um, I think sure, her going down will help other nominees. It's interesting about Joe, though. You know, he sits in this position, and he's gonna, he's the man everybody's going to love to hate because he, I don't think he's playing his position properly, frankly, uh, for the court of public opinion. He may be playing it properly for him. You know, he's worried about West Virginians because he is a moderate Democrat, not a whatever. But I, I just think he, he he's flexing his muscle maybe a little bit too much. And, you know, the people count and the people aren't happy with him of the Democratic Party. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. And I hope the other side of it is they better not push him to, to change parties. I, I think he owes it yeah, to, to, to Bob Bird not to change parties, by the way, because he was anointed. Yeah, by, I don't think he will. Um, the venerable he's had senator. a lot of chances too. Yeah, but yeah, he's had a lot of chances. Too. But you just I, I you don't, don't know with him. He, he, you know, he, you don't know. But I, I think he can sort of, you know, he's got the power now to, you know, 
push back on the Democrats without having them lead. The yeah, party. He, he's an interesting um, guy, though, you know, and he, he, he just got reelected. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I was just going to say he's interesting because he's loved and hated in West Virginia on a lot of levels and always has Absolutely. been, you know, so um, there's that. Listen, I wanted to tell you that uh, as we were going to tape, the um, Justice Department Inspector General has launched an investigation to whether any former or current officials engaged in an improper attempt to have the DOJ seek to alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Ah, Donald Trump. I think it's very interesting that they're doing that because, you know, as they're having these hearings on what happened on January 6th, which are a complete joke at this point, yesterday was silly. Uh, there are some people who are very, very serious about getting to the bottom of all of what happened and all of the fake, you know, election and yada, yada, yada that trembled off. Uh, Republicans, meantime, are saying we do not want that full investigation that Nancy's asking for. That just broke right before we went to, to uh, record. You know, are they going to get anywhere on this or is this just going to get buried? I mean, and let me just I'll I'll give you the floor. But let me just also say Ted Cruz up there bloviating and we're going to talk about him a little bit further. But Hawley as well, in the wake of what happened in Texas, oy, um, they don't sound like they're serious about getting to the bottom of anybody, any of this. And will the Democrats let them get away with not getting to the bottom of all of this? Your floor. Uh, you got a lot there. Uh, I I think there's gonna be. A, I think there will be a commission that will have subpoena powers that will uh, do a lot on this. Uh, but if they don't, I think yeah, these piecemeal investigations may not yield that much. But I, I certainly think it's it's good that they're the inspector general is looking at the justice department. Cause you remember he had all those, you know, acting, um, right. employees, uh, director, AGs, um, in the last days of the administration who were trying to, you know, screw with the ballots in Pennsylvania. And it's, I'm glad they're looking into it. I, I, I listen, they, they need to figure this out. And, um, the, the, the part of the democratic Biden, uh, administration that I think is not up to par yet. It's a problem Democrats always have. And that's they can get some messaging out, but they're never good at retaliation for bad deeds by the other party. And I think they're making a mistake here. I think they should be hammering about getting to the bottom of this. Just hammering it away, which would hammer at Trump's uh, approval ratings as well, with 73% of Republicans still believing that he was uh, the duly elected president and not Joe Biden. I understand that they've got their hands full with getting these COVID vaccines out and stuff, but I, I see this as a lost opportunity if they don't go to the mat on getting to the bottom of this. I do. I, I agree. I agree. And I don't know how you get them to do it. I totally agree. Yeah, because um, they're just not good at that kind of thing. You know, Biden's uh, rescue plan, if you will, um, $1.9 trillion. Maybe I'm missing... It, it just is so funny how, you know, the Republicans are in a really bad place on this map because don't give the people, you know, their $1,400. Don't give the people this. Don't give them that. Don't give the states help so that the people can get the things they need because it's going to come back and bite them in the butt because it's the red states that need this kind of help even more than whatever, than the blue states. You know, uh, Mitt Romney and Tom Cotton offer a plan on a minimum wage to uh, $10 an hour, but which, by the way, is lower than the current minimum wage in, in Tom Cotton's state, which I find absolutely crazy. Manchin, who has one of the poorest states, he says, no, 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 no. 
keep it down there at 10. I don't want 15. And I'm laughing at myself. And I'm, you want to want know why, why people are poor in West Virginia? Because if you get a job, it pays you nothing. So you got to get two, three, and four jobs. But the 1.9 trillion versus, you know, Trump's one point was three tax cut to the 1%. I think it's a pretty great balancing seesaw here. It's a good thing. They're not making that case. You gave it to them, but you didn't give it to them. Now we're going to give it to them. Everybody will be happy. Got anything on that? Or am I the only one thinking that brain kind of thought? <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I see, I see your point and it could be risky for the Republicans. On the other hand, you know, back in 2009, they all balked at the stimulus, which had a lot of things people wanted. And, um, I don't know if they're going to pay a price for it. I just, I'm not sure. It gets back to what I said earlier. The problem the Dems have, the problem the Biden administration has, they better get just one team who does nothing but counter the crap and pushes the, the Republicans against the wall. That's how they do it when the Republicans do it. They get a, they, you know that they send out everyday talking points and they stick to them. You just go, go to everybody who's anybody in the party and this, they'll give you the same message. Day in and day out, you, you you go and you look at what the Democrats are saying. It's never the same. One's talking here, one's talking there. Uh, they're standing on good ground, the Democrats. Now I hope they don't blow their power. I'm always the voice of doom for the Democrats, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no. Look, I, I, I am. I hear where you're coming from. And I know it's um. So this whole mess happens in 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 Texas. What a nightmare! Which again is another talking point that. Deregulation killed the airline industry, the bus industry, the, the they tried, you know, putting the, you know, the electric grid in, in, in Texas on it in Florida. Uh, you know, I think they did the same thing in California. It doesn't work to deregulate. Government is important. They can win Texas now. Beto Rock has got a new political lease on life for going in and doing what that horror of a human being uh, Ted Cruz wouldn't do and said he went to Cancun. Okay. But again, this goes into what I've been saying, Matt. They have a way, to, they, they're, they're standing in a good position. They don't take the message and run with it. <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. Okay. They don't. All right, I'm beating a dead horse here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. But now, okay, now let's go. So they have the hearings yesterday on what happened with January 6th, and it was a, a, a silly. You know, the one question they didn't ask, the only one I really want answered, the one question. What, who were the congressional is, members who took the people, the insurrectionists on the tour the day before? Wasn't even brought up. Wasn't even brought up. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's huge to me. That that's where that's where the whole story is, as far as I'm concerned. But hey, what do I know? Um, we talked CPAC. Okay, so and we're moving fast, folks, because we don't have our normal time limit. Rick Scott declared yesterday that the war with the Republican Party within the Republican Party is over. Is the war within the Republican Party over? I don't think it's much of a war, to be honest, at the moment. I mean, I don't think there's huge pushback on Trump. I mean, there's been some, you know, Liz Cheney over the rioting and, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, but I don't think there's really even a war. I, I think it's more of a consensus. Huh. I think you have... I think you have... Um, you know, semi-Trumpers and super-Trumpers, but very few no-Trumpers. Okay. So I was thinking about this, too, and I was thinking, the, I think there are splits 
as there are in either party, you know, progressives versus moderates versus whatever. But I do think that, you know, there are these anti-Trumpers. I think I think we don't really know where people are who were in the Senate or in Congress to some degree. We, yeah, we know we know the ones who were always, you know, as you and I have talked incessantly about is it's the same old people always the voice of the party so you know who knows what anybody else is actually thinking um but there are three play they have three choices here in my opinion they can be the anti-trumpers and start a new party they can work within the party like it appears that romney wants to do and uh a few of the others or they can break off and they can say we're going to go and we're going to become democrats and work with biden those are their three choices. I wish they would come into the Democratic Party because, you know, I think the Democratic Party is moving way too far to the left. It's going to leave a lot of people. You know, they're, it, 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 they're, they're, they're a year behind what happened to the Republican Party if, if things don't um, aren't controlled. So I think it would be a great thing. That Yeah, I just I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I don't know what the Democratic Party I, wants them there. Yeah, uh, some may, some may not. Right, I but I think it would be a great I, I just idea. don't see them, yeah, I just don't see a big migration, you know, like Reagan Democrats. I just don't know if there are going to be a huge number of Biden Republicans. Uh, it's I interesting. Don't, I don't know. I just feel like I feel like they haven't, you know, it usually takes a lot of defeat for a party to change. Like Democrats had to lose in 80, 84, and 88 in order to nominate Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. And um, I they don't feel like they lost enough, you know. They feel like the well, Congress. we gained seats yeah. in the House. Yeah, yeah. We gained seats in the House in the Senate. Well, that was fluky, and um, you know, Trump almost won. And you know, I don't think they have the sense of like crushing defeat that that forces a reassessment. So to get uh, them to a crushing defeat, um, it's going to take the Never Trumpers to get them to that crushing defeat. I think so, but the never Trumpers, you know, if they vote Republican down ballot, I don't know if it'll, you know, if it'll be enough. I well, mean, I think the Democrats really have to crush, have to really crush them for the Republicans to change. Um, you see that happening? Because I don't see that happening. I, I don't. No, I think. Um, <laughs> I think they're in risky. No, uh, I think yeah. I think they could easily lose the House and Senate. Yeah, I do in too. Two years. I do too. Um, easily. Yeah, well, part of it just the way it's all been set up with the gerrymandering and stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely, and they're just they're right on the edge anyway. Um, I don't know. The problem is the the parties are so ideologically coherent, and um, uh, uh, you know, right now that uh, you know all the most all the moderate Dems have been swept out of Congress. Uh, you know, there are few left, like Mansion. Well, this is what I'm saying. You know, they're 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 the yin and the yang. To my mind, it seems to me that the smartest thing is somebody actually does bring in a third party. And since we know the evil is definitely on the Republican side, it should be a part somebody who does it. You know, in terms of um, uh, uh, a Republican third party that would bite into the um, uh, to the current G- GQP. Right. Yeah. We got to go. Yeah. No, I. Yeah. Okay. But before Great we go, let, be, no, before we go, I just want to throw out one thing, which is after I went on my rant last week about Netanyahu, as we were talking, <laughs> yes, Biden the call had, was being made. The call was being so are you made. Happy now? Well, you know what? I almost want to do a whole show just on on all of that. But but I will say this: uh, 
I'll do the, a show with you on that. Yeah, I, I think we should. I think we should because it's a, a we're at a, another crazy crossroads. U.S. and Israel are going to convene a strategic forum on Iran. Was announced just before we went to to record, and I think that's huge. That's good. Right? That's wonderful. That's huge. You know, I'm not a big fan yeah, of the I mean, Iran deal, but Iran is a problem for everybody, including right. you know, us. But they're not rushing back into it. Well, they're going to have this strategic forum, and I think that's interesting. And, and, and there's all these little things that are going on. Like, they're going to start to re-engage the Palestinians. They're signaling. I, you know, yeah, well, yeah. talking is talking, you know. Well, that's true. That's true. But this is action if they're going to get this forum together. And it does. You don't want them. It seems to me you don't want them not talking to the PA. See, I I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Um, They're not talking to the PA. Let me tell you why I disagree with it. We'll go over a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, My reason for seeing it, it, I think it's the only thing that Trump did that, and he didn't do. We talked about this last week. His son-in-law, who you know may have have been the brains and the brawn behind all of this, was they settled things down in the Middle East and they changed alliances, and 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 there was no, no repercussion to pay for for anybody, including the Palestinians who've been doing just fine, thank you very much, you know, and not warring, and not warring. And I've always said personally that the only way any of this is going to get the right and the wrong and whomever, whatever, is gonna, time is going to heal a lot of these wounds and generations. So, you know, let it play itself out. Uh, clearly, they don't think that they need to be at war right now. You gin it up? No, but you, that doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that's gonna. But I'm saying, I way. think, I think we've seen where it's looking pretty good, actually. Uh, and 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 the Israelis are being shored up by you know those around them, uh, the leadership around uh, them. Uh, I just think you go in there, you start, you, you let the hornets in the nest get all icky again, and I don't think it's a smart idea, particularly right now. Well, I think it, I think it depends what you do. You know, I mean, if you uh, if you actively undermine the. Abraham, of course, that's one thing. If you just, you know, do a little more. I mean, the Israelis talk to the PA. Of course the time, they do. So right. I, I don't, but they do in a way that it's it, not ginning up the crazies. Yeah, I, 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 I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's leave it there and say, come back next week and we'll pick up where we left off. How's that? I like that. I'd like that. We can do a whole show sometime. If you okay. want to do it next week or let's, another time. That's if good. no big news comes up, let's have at it. Maybe we'll bring some of my friends okay. in Israel into the show with us. Uh, Matt? Absolutely. Well, see ya, handsome. Bye, darling. I'll see you, dear. Okay, <laughs> okay bye-bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No you are listening to the Halle Caster Jane Show, the Halle Caster Jane Show post new podcasts weekly at HalleCasterJane.com and it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to find us on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on all your favorite apps. You can find the Halle Caster Jane Show on your Alexa device too. Just say the Halle Caster Jane Show. Oh, and come play with me on Twitter at Halle Show Quotes. On the first page of this real-life espionage thriller, author Larry Loftus writes, In most cases, a spy cannot survive without being a consummate liar. For that reason, when a friend spoke admiringly of the work of Aileen Griffith, a glamorous American who had been a spy in Spain during World War II, and decades later wrote a series of memoirs about her exploits, Mr. Loftus decided to find out just how truthful her spy stories might be. Loftus went to work painstakingly seeking out the truth. What followed is an extraordinary account of the life of Aileen Griffith. Let's talk with Larry Loftus about his new book, The Princess Spy. Okay, Larry, I wasn't kidding. I told you off air, this thing is fabulous. What a great story you fell into. Oh, my gosh. The Princess Spy. Uh, have, have, has this thing been picked up by film yet? You know, everybody's asking, not yet. We've had a couple of inquiries on my end. Uh, one Hollywood group's reading the book, and my agent says he's had a couple of inquiries on his end. So we're, we're waiting to see. Well, it should happen. I'll be the first to go buy a ticket to see that one. Aileen Griffith, how did you come across this lady? Normally, I find my spies, she's number three, third book I've written about World War II spies. Normally, I find them just reading about other stories, and, and it's in a footnote someplace, or I, I, I just come across them, you know, secondhand. But this one, somebody told me about her and said, you know, there's this woman uh, her name's Eileen Griffith. I'm not sure if any of this is true that I've read about her, but if it is, you know, or half of it's true, it'd be a great story. You ought to go check it out. So that's my job. I mean, so for me, checking it out means going to the National Archives, which is where all the bodies are buried. So the <laughs> all of the OSS records from World War II are at the National Archives, which is in College Park, Maryland. So I went there and spent four days in the catacombs uh, going through all those and pulling not only her file, but everybody that was in the Madrid office and her spy master who was in the D.C. office. Um, and then uh, and I actually got a, a, a private memoir, her coding partner in the Madrid office where she worked. Her coding partner was a man by the name of Robert Dunev. Of course, they're all dead now, but I found his sons, uh, Michael and Peter, and they said, look, our dad wrote a memoir. And this is the guy that was in the coding room with Aileen. He said, uh, they said, look, we'll, we'll send it to you. It was never published. It was just for the family. So the family would know, you know, what he did during the war. And lo and behold, it was a hundred pages. I'd read this thing. And one of the nuggets I found was the line that said, which reminded me of the time I removed the dead body from Aileen's apartment. <laughs> So <laughs> you got hooked. Those are the kind of nuggets you, you look for. So I find I find those in reports uh, in the files for the National Archives, and I find them occasionally in a in a memoir like this that was never published anywhere because he wrote it strictly for his family. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit. First of all, the, in the preface of the book, you say something that I was just so amused by um, to the tune of a spy can't be a spy without being a consummate liar. That just cracked me up. And how true was that? So let me introduce the fact that Aline did write about her life 
um, a number of books, actually. But there's a lot of controversy yep. around this woman and her accounts of her career. So you, as you said, you delved in. 63 pages, by yeah, the way, so the, uh, of notes. <laughs> Fascinating to me. It's a lot of delving. Yeah. Your yeah. point. So the when I started there, there, she actually wrote, starting with she did a couple of nonfiction books. She wrote a book called The History of Pasquillette, 24 years before she even thought about writing a memoir for World War II stuff. But that book mentions uh, just in, in an opening how she ended up in Spain. That was nonfiction. She wrote another book at the end of her life called The End of an Epic, which also was nonfiction. Her, she wrote three memoirs about espionage and then an espionage novel, but the three memoirs were historical fiction because she made up uh, most of what's in there. There's nine murders or killings that you find, and only one of them was actually true, only one of the nine. And that was the one that I mentioned that I confirmed through uh, Robert Dunev. You know, that was the body that he, he, he removed the body. So that one I confirm was true. The others I know that she made up. Um, and the end notes, there's 63 pages of end notes. So people can check, you know, where this stuff came from. All the dialogue comes from primary sources. All everything that's in there comes from either the National Archives or uh, one of the primary sources, whether it's Aileen or it's Robert Dunev or the other people involved in the in the story. Now, listen to me. She is truly a fascinating character. I, I just can't believe that she hasn't hit the screens before this. But but I have to say, let's go back a little bit, because it really is such an intriguing story. Small town girl, childhood. What did you discover in looking at back at her childhood that would make her <laughs> what uh, a spy later in life? Nothing. I mean, that, 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 in, in fact, that's the extra, extraordinary part is that there was nothing unusual about her. Pearl River, even today, is a very small town. It's a little hamlet uh, outside of, of Manhattan. And I always kind of saw it as a, as a Rockwellian town because this is your, you know, your one traffic light, one grocery store, one barber, one movie theater, one of everything. Um and Aileen only ended up there because her her fa- her grandfather, I guess, was one of the first business people into the town and, and started a factory there. Um, and that's how they ended up there. But it's a very small town and nothing unusual about it. And the bridge comes because she she after she graduates from college, she's looking for a job and she goes to Manhattan and finds a job modeling. I mean, she's beautiful. She's five, nine and beautiful. So she gets a job at Hattie Carnegie, which was the top modeling agency at the time, and it was where Lucille Ball actually started. Uh, but she doesn't; she isn't really crazy about modeling because she wants to get into the war. You know, the war's broken out. Her brothers were off to the war, and she wanted to do something for the country too. Uh, but she was stuck modeling, which normally would be a dream job, but it's not what she wanted. So she has this serendipitous meeting on a blind date, a dinner date, where she meets this guy who worked for the OSS. And of course he didn't tell her that, but he just started talking to her and found out she wanted to do something for the war and wanted to get overseas. And he said, well, if a Mr. Tomlinson calls you, you'll know what it's about. And she gets the call. It's cra- it's, it's just so crazy. OSS. I, I just want to talk about that for a minute because a lot of people don't know what the OSS is, um, you know, uh, but it's the precursor to the CIA. Um, didn't Julia right. Child get, um, she also was recruited for the OSS and did, did similar sort of work. Did she not? Do you know that? 
I, I, I do not know. Yeah, I, she I'm did. I her story. Yeah, and later in life she came out with the fact that she was a coder for them um, back in the day. Okay. Uh, but anyway, oh. so that that's what it was, and it was the precursor. And um, it's unfathomable in a way, you know? <laughs> Could you have done it? <laughs> ah... No, uh, it's, it, I mean, and, and it's not, I wouldn't even say that the coding part is the hardest part. I mean, you can learn no, a, a yeah, skill. Sure. It's the, it, it's the starting out with where we, where we started the conversation about spies being consummate liars. They have to live a double life. I mean, you have a, you have a cover and your, your cover story is what your quote unquote day job is. And she was, her cover was she was going to be a secretary for the American Oil Commission which was in Madrid to make sure that any oil that we sold to Spain didn't end up, you know, going to Germany. So that was her cover. And, and they actually, and it was a real company. They had a real job. And on the first floor, it was the American Oil Commission people. And so she would go in there and then she would go up to the second floor. And the second floor was all OSS people. So that was her cover. So during the day, she ostensibly was doing that, but she was really coding and decoding messages coming into the Madrid office. And then after she'd been there about a year, they realized, hey, she's really good. She's really talented. She's sophisticated. She's pretty. She's obviously, you know, secure from our standpoint um, with security, and she's been trained and all that. Let's send her out. So they send her out as a field agent. So at nights um, and, and during on weekends, she would go out on field operations where she's going to cocktail parties, going to bullfights, going to flamenco parties, going to ambassador parties to meet and hobnob with, with either known Germans, known Nazi agents, or suspected Nazi collaborators. So she's doing that on top of the, the coding stuff that she's doing. So she was really burning the candle at both ends. And then you add in the romance that, that <laughs> happens through the story. You know, you wonder how she slept because she's, they're, they're actually in the story. There's four men who fall in love with her. A famous bullfighter, Juanito Bomani, who was a celebrity. Uh, another OSS agent falls in love with her. Um, an American diplomat, Barnaby Conrad, fell in love with her, who actually <laughs> he had bailed her. He had to bail her. She was arrested uh, and ended up in jail in Malaga uh, when she was transporting information, and he had to bail her out. So there's him. And then there's the man that she actually eventually falls in love with, Luis Figueroa, who at the time was the Count of um, Quintanilla and becomes the Count of Romanones. Those are titles. And she doesn't know any of that. All she knows is his name is Luis Figueroa, and he's nice, and he's handsome, and he speaks perfect English. Uh, but he turns out to be this count, this noble, uh, kind of like the Kennedy family here, but even bigger. I mean, they're very well known oh, even yeah. today. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And Let, the New York Times. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. The, and the New well, York Times. I was just going to say, the New York Times even reported that he was the fifth wealthiest man in Spain at the time. But she doesn't know any of that. All that she knows is he's this handsome guy that she meets at a party. I want to go back one step for a second because she was trained. There was this place, the farm in Maryland. And talk right. a little talk a little bit about her training. Because I don't want this to look sure. like she's just this pretty girl who has a lot of style and cachet right. and whatever. This, this she was sure. she's 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 incredible. Talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, her looks are. I mean, based on her looks, it's misleading because she looked. She's a model, but she's she was trained to be to be a killer. The the OSS had a training facility called the Farm. It was a hundred acres uh, outside of D.C. 
And that's so they would spend three weeks there all day long, dawn to, to midnight for three weeks. And so she shot every gun in the battlefield, pistols, rifles, machine guns. She learned how to use the American Tommy gun. She learned how to knife fight. She learned how to make a dagger out of a newspaper. She was, in fact, the mod, what we would say a, a female version of James Bond. She really was. She, she was, she was sophisticated and, and, and beautiful like we see in James Bond, but she was trained to be a killer. I mean, she, re, she becomes a crack shot with all of the weapons. She's trained to fight with a knife by a very famous man, um, William Fairbairn, who invented the famous Fairbairn Sykes fighting knife, which is still used by special forces around the world today. Uh, and he was the same man who actually trained Popov, the subject of my first book, who was Ian Fleming's model for Bond? Uh, she, this same, this same man trained Popoff as well. So she is trained to be a killer. She is all of the things that we see in Bond. She's just a woman. Yeah. It, well, where do you even go with this story? Because there's so many uh, avenues and rat holes to go down with it. But she had something though that was really unbelievable because women loved her as much as men loved her, and she hung out with some pretty whoa people. Um, I mean, she, you know, she, she was like a chameleon. She could get us go into any place that there was, you know, uh, which you, you, you brilliantly, uh, you know, show in the book. But people like Jackie Kennedy, Nancy Reagan, Audrey Hepburn, Wallace Simpson. She didn't Wallace Simpson I, I leave her the bracelet. You know, I'm scanning through the book and I'm reading like crazy because yeah. I. Yeah. I, yeah. Th- this is a woman who has power. And savvy. Yeah, that all comes after the war, of course. That, I mean, she almost doesn't matter. Lives, yeah, she kind of lives multiple lives. I mean, she's got her. She's she's a small town girl when when she starts, and then she becomes this spy. So she sort of lives the James Bond lifestyle through World War II, and then when the war ends, uh, President Truman closes the OSS, thinking that we didn't need foreign intelligence anymore. Hmm. And all of the OSS people said, "Are you kidding me?" So there was another mysterious entity that was formed called the British American Canadian Corporation, later called the World Commerce Corporation. Uh, and it was founded by the head of the OSS, William Donovan, the head of British Security Coordination, which is MI6 operating in America and Canada, William Stevenson, uh, Charles Hambro, the head of SOE. Uh, they all formed it, and they, they picked Aileen's spy master, this guy in Washington named Frank Ryan. They picked him to run it. And Aileen's one of the first hires, so he's hiring all these OSS operatives around the world, uh, and that's really the bridge. That's the it's a very mysterious company, uh, but that's really the intelligence bridge because the US, the CIA isn't formed until, until yeah. more than two years later, not, not until 1947, until September of 1947. So she works then after the war. She works again as a uh, it was a it was an export import company to foster trade in Europe, and she did that. But what else did she do? You know, I mean, Ryan's got other things that he has her doing, which I describe in the book. And then, as soon as the CIA is formed, that company just quietly folds. And then she, and of course, she gets married. You know, she marries uh, Louis Figueroa, <laughs> who the Count of Roman owns. I mean, a dream, you know, this is the fairy tale, you know, she's living the fairy tale life. And, uh, so she marries this, this count and, um, 
she'd actually told him right before, when they got engaged, hey, I got to tell you something. I got to get this off my chest. I was a spy for the Americans during the war. And he didn't believe her. He started laughing. I said, "Come on, Eileen, you're pulling my leg. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be lying like that." He did not believe her. And I was on the Today Show on Friday, and Carrie Sanders said, "You know, that's the perfect cover." And it really was because he. She told him, and he didn't. She said, "Okay, fine." So she then doesn't go into it again. And when she starts doing work for the CIA uh, after that, uh, she doesn't tell him. I mean, she's right. not supposed to tell him. But uh, so that was she would do. She actually ended up doing odd jobs for the CIA. I mean, she was married, of course, and they traveled the world. But one of her colleagues in the OSS during the war was William Casey. And if that name sounds familiar, William Casey was Ronald Reagan's CIA director. So he knew her from the war and would call her and say, hey, look, if you're going to be in Paris next week, why don't you talk to this person? I'd like to find out such and such. Why don't you go here? So if she was going to Zurich or she was going to Stockholm or she was going to, you know, wherever, he would just say, hey, can you do a can you do a little a little report for me like you used to do in the old days? I, I need you to talk to somebody. So uh, and Robert Dunev did the same. Robert Dunev actually actually worked for the CIA after uh, the war and then did odd jobs on the side as well. Her code name was Butch. I love that, by the way. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, was uh, just uh, didn't fit with with the personality, but you know, here you what you're talking to me, and you're just like I, you're just loving this lady oh, see, in that's this the story. Cover no, I know, of course. Who, yeah. who would who would expect a beautiful woman to be called Butch? You know, I, that was her yeah. code name, Butch. Oh, it's just perfect. But what didn't you like about her? Was there something you uncovered and you went, uh huh? Uh, not not in Aileen, you know, the operative that I read about. Of course, I I wasn't thrilled that she made up most of the stuff in her memoirs. But, uh, you know, that gave me something to do to find out what really happened. What was the true story about Aileen Griffith? So that was that was fascinating. And, but stop um, there for a second. So, Why do you think she felt the need to embellish what was already a, like well, gag story? Like, oh, my God, probably she was probably. She was probably encouraged to do that by her publisher because you start with the book title. She's the book title she submitted was codenamed Butch, and because that was her codename, and which she admits in her first book, the book on the book called um, The History of Pasquillette, she mentions that. And her memoir comes out and it's called, uh, you know, she says her codename was Tiger. It wasn't Tiger. She stole that name from there was another agent who had been in that office who had used that codename, but that wasn't hers. Hers was Butch. So her publisher, her editor later admitted in an article, I think it was in Times, yeah, I asked her to change because we didn't like Butch, which makes sense. You know, we didn't like Butch as a name. And in fact, I, I, I can relate because when I told my agent, hey, I've got, I'm working on a new book. I'd like to call it Codename Butch because, you know, my last book was Codename Lease and Codename Lease, you know, so let's just continue the brand with Codename Butch. And he said, uh, no, uh, that's not a good name. So he actually came up with The Princess Spy. But I think the editor that she had said, look, we're going to change your code name to something else. What else do you have? And she said, well, you know, let's go with Tiger. And then she so I'm assuming he encouraged her to embellish to make it sound good and sell more books. I mean, that's all I can surmise. But we do know that he asked her to change her code name and make up a name, uh, a code name that wasn't the name that she really had, because it's all over. the. I mean, she filed 59 reports. And I have all of them. She filed 59 CIA or 59 reports when she was an agent in Madrid. And they're all from Agent Butch. So it's all over her files. Cool as a cucumber. 
you know, what does it take to, to do? Be. I mean, you, ha- you have to be something that, that most people aren't. Uh, and I don't know how that, you know, that works in your, your day job. How, what happens, you know, when you're, when you're in your family, when you're, you know, who are you? I mean, it, 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 right. It, you know, did you, did you get any insight into the, who she, you know, besides, because it's, how do I, Larry, she, you know, she's bigger than life. I mean, she's, she's everything that anybody would want to be. And she has everything that anybody would want to have. I mean, you know, she's got beauty, she's got brain, she's got money. She's got, you know, she's got a a title. She's all those, all these things. I, I just, I can't believe that she is not, you know, something else that's very scary. At the same time, well, the and and I kind of learned this when I first started reading or first started researching my first book about disco pop off because they go th- their training is almost identical. We we borrowed uh, the U.S. We borrowed our training from what the British did because the British remember had had two years uh, ahead of us. You know they had two years under their belt in the war and training spies and recruiting spies and all that. So they already had a program figured out. Uh, with their SOE and MI5. And so we just borrowed their system and borrowed their, you know, their, their combat instructor, William Fairbairn, who I mentioned, we borrowed him too. Uh, but they were trained very specifically how to live that other life, you know, whether you're getting on a, a, a train or you're walking home, how, how to sense that there's someone following you, how to lose a tag. As they're called, I mean, they're trained how to do this. They're trained how to to slip in and out, to be, to blend in. You know, that's just part of the training. Uh, to have the poker face, if you will. Yeah, but you got to have so, it. You have to have it in your and, gut. They can't create it. You either are like that or you're not. Yeah, so, it's a personality so, so what thing. What happens during the during the OSS training is they would weed people out. A lot of them wouldn't make it. They wouldn't make it because they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle that double life. They couldn't handle that secrecy. You know, they might even, they recorded them at night to see if they talked in their sleep. If you talk in your sleep, you're gone, you know. So yeah. they, they were all through this funnel of training and the ones that come out on the other end. Okay, these are going to be good spies. So a couple of things. She marries the Count. They have, what, three sons, I think, right? Um, right. Her, her, um, her relationships with people like Reagan and, and Nancy Reagan and, and Audrey Hepburn, did, did, did they, did anybody know? Did she reveal any of this until she wrote the first book? No, you can't because that well, that's, and the same was true yeah. with with Popoff. I mean, same thing. They sign when you come out of any of them, MI6, SOE, OSS, your country makes you sign a confidentiality agreement and, you know, in in the UK it's the Official Secrets Act and here it's it's basically the same. I, in fact, I include what she signed in the book right. that says you cannot tell a soul. You cannot tell anybody. Um, and usually that's not lifted until this information, until basically your files are declassified. And normally that doesn't happen for 30 or 40 years. So they're not supposed to tell anybody um, what they did. And, and it was easy for Elaine because her husband didn't believe, <laughs> didn't believe her anyway <laughs> that she was a spy. But even with Popoff, he never told his wife. He never told his wife that he was a spy, and she doesn't figure it out, or she doesn't learn it, until he writes his own memoir. That was a 35 years later. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? So they just learned yeah. to keep their mouth shut. Jeez, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Did her kids still alive? Uh, yes. In fact, I've, uh, her oldest son, who is the current Count of Romanones, um, has a copy of the book, and, and from what I heard from a granddaughter is that he's loving it. So that's. 
that's coming. I think he's 70. My, I think he's about 75 now. Um, hmm. But that's her um, her oldest son, Alvaro. So everyone loved her. But then I heard I was talking to a friend who knew the story who said to me, but she 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 was not w- always wonderful. That she had the quick temper, I think, was was one thing that I had read or heard or somebody told me, um, and she could be full of herself. Did you run across any of that? Well, none of that is in the files, of course, because the files are World War II. Um, I, I'm familiar there was an article that came out, uh, I don't know, 2015, I think it was, of someone. This is when Aileen's probably in her 70s. Um, there was an article that came out. That by a former employee who said that, you know, Aileen was mean to her, et cetera, et cetera. And, and as a lawyer, I can tell you, we have a name for that. It's called hearsay. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows if that's true? Right. I I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, Aileen never got to defend herself. Maybe. And and I told my, because my editor mentioned it and I said, look, we don't know if that's true. You know, I mean, it could have been a disgruntled employee. Aileen may have fired her. Uh, they may have had a dispute over money. Who knows? I mean, so you can't. It's only one report. And, and the, story is, yeah. the story is not about what she did when she was 70 years old. You know, the story is about what she did from the time, essentially, she's recruited into the OSS when she's 22 through really her her time with the CIA. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't know what, what that was about with that former right. employee. So let me ask you this. Everyone loved this woman. I keep saying that because that's how it comes across in the book. Wonderful book, guys. I'm telling you, read this one because this one is intriguing. Uh, and it's a, uh, I like the way you wrote it. Um, did you fall in love with her? Raylene's been dead for, for since 2017. That's not what I mean. You can fall in love with, with, a, with a personality, with a character oh, in a oh, book. Oh, I thought you said, did you follow up with her? Oh, no, no. I you said, oh, no, I said, did no, you fall said, in love with her? Yeah, fall in love with her. She made every well, man who met her know, fall you, in love, every when woman. You're, when you're reading the story, particularly as a guy, when you're reading the story, and I include in the books the, you know, some of the photos of her, there's a, that famous bullfighter that I mentioned, Juanito Bomani. He gave her a suit of what's called a suit of vest. He gave her the jacket that he wore in a bullfight in Toledo uh, when he won two or two years. You have to read the book to figure that out. But it's a beautiful satin vest, and he gave it to her as a gift. So she's wearing it in a basically a photo shoot, and she's stunning. You know, and, and I knew she was a professional model, but I'm looking at this, I'm like, she's stunning. So I can see how when, when she's there in Madrid, every, you know, all of the men are either smitten by her or falling in love with her because she's, She's drop dead good looking, and she's she's now fluent in Spanish, of course, and um, so it, it's sophisticated. So yeah, it'd be hard not to be smitten by her. Yeah, it comes across in your in your writing. You had a lot of respect for her. It's a, it's a good thing. Thank you, Larry. Love this book. Thank you. I've been speaking with Larry Loftus. His new book, this one, trust me, you'll want to read: The Princess Spy. For more information on Larry and his other works, visit his website at LarryLoftus.com. The Princess Spy, by the way, is available on Amazon.com. 
Thank you for tuning in to The Helicaster Jane Show, a production of Resec LLC. The Helicaster Jane Show posts new podcasts Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, and is available at helicasterjane.com and on all your favorite apps. Be sure to visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and follow me on Twitter at The Halle CJ Show. Until next time, this is Helicaster Jane. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.